What's going on, party people? This is another edition of the Birdroids Podcast. I am here with Corbin Ford. We saw the trade deadline. It came and passed. And yeah, so of course we had to talk about it. And here we are. We are going to be grading the trades, essentially. Obviously, depending how a lot of things play out, I'm sure these grades will change. But yeah, just our initial thoughts on every move that went down. Um, first of all, Corbin, how are you doing today? I am doing pretty rough right now. No, I'm playing. I'm excited to talk with you. Excited to talk trades. A little under the weather. Came out of nowhere. Not a big fan of it. I think it's the pressure change or whatever up here in Colorado. But aside from that, ready to rock. Yeah, and again, Corbin was on the um the Sports Ethos Live feed yesterday for the trade deadline, so um we got to see him on that. So yeah, so the first thing I want to note before we start getting into the trades is we saw last year, and I believe Corbin and I did something similar last year in terms of talking about each trade that happened. But we saw last year kind of the influx of all the second round picks basically being traded rather than any first round picks. Like, for example, we saw in that Sadiq Bay, James Wiseman, three-team trade. Sadiq Bay, instead of going for a first pick, he went for like five seconds. We kind of saw that trend continue today. We saw, I think, two first round picks move, but otherwise it was all seconds. Uh, slew with them, too. Um, the second thing I will note I put on here is Bulls LMAO. Because of the fact that, you know, they did, the Chicago Bulls didn't do anything. And they think they could be competitive when clearly that's just not the case. Um, Zach Levine is out for the season. DeMar DeRozan is 34 years old, so I imagine he's going to sign a three-year extension after this year. And then they'll try to trade him. But I think he's more valuable on an expiring at age 34 than a three-year deal up until his age 37 year. Um, Andre Drummond, they couldn't move. Nikola Vucevic, they didn't move. So, I don't know. I mean, Corbin, you agree, you, are you in that camp with me that the Chicago Bulls are complete chaos in terms of how did they not possibly make a move? Oh, yeah. They're, they're easily losers. They're easily losers. I mean, what in the world are you – like, what is the goal there? You know, like, like I'm sorry. I, I made a joke about this um, on the live. I said oh, they're trying to be the most competitive 11th seed in NBA history. Like – I don't understand what the end game is for the squad. And so you're right. Like if you have uh DeMar DeRozan who you see how it works, like how it looks, you get the best of his age 34 season, which has been a drop off his age 33, but not terrible. Right. And then you get to reevaluate and see what you want to do after, you know, the season's over, how you want to reevaluate that, whether you have the power to restructure the contract and make it what you want. You don't have that now. Um, if you are getting extension with DeMar DeRozan, you're going to have like all the years of DeMar DeRozan. Like if it is a three-year deal, you're you're eating that. You know what I mean? Or, or waving it, worst case scenario. But bottom line, like that's all on you. So uh, you being the team that acquires him if it's not Chicago. So no, I 100% agree with you. I, I think their evaluation or lack thereof of their roster was a huge detriment and a big reason why they are clear losers to me. I think I read somewhere too – that said ownership sort of even signed off on the rebuild and Arturis Knishevitz is just vehemently against it. Um, him being obviously the Bulls GM. So, okay. Yeah, let's really see. Sure, yeah. Why yeah. would he get off on that? Like, what's the point? But yeah. 
So let's get into Wednesday's trades. We saw three trades go down on Wednesday, the day before the deadline. And then obviously Thursday, once I think it was Woj tweeted out, or Shams, whoever it was, tweeted out the Buddy Heel to Sixers um, trade. That kind of opened up the floodgates, essentially. So, okay, Wednesday, we had the Jazz trade Simone Fontecchio. The Pistons traded... The 2024 Washington second-round pick, which is pick 32 in the NBA draft as of now, Kevin Knox and the draft rights to Gabriel Procida. I gave the Pistons a B-minus and the Jazz a B-plus for this deal. I would give both Bs. I definitely would like to hear where you have drew the line for the B-minus and the B-plus. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little unfair with the B-minus for the Pistons because – the Pistons, I feel like, traded for Fontecchio because they wanted any sort of competency. Because they haven't had that, obviously. They haven't had, you know, that locker room presence. haven't had that, like, yeah, sure, they had Alec Burks and Bojan. And, but they haven't had, like, stable veteran leadership. They haven't, you know, they they won seven games this year. I mean, they, they just desperately need competent players. And Fontecchio provides that. I'm just not a fan of trading the 32nd overall pick for somebody you could assign in free agency that Utah's probably unlikely to pick anyway, um, or unlikely to keep, rather. Um, the Jazz, I think, given the fact that they likely weren't going to resign Fontecchio and they got the 32nd pick in the draft, that, at the time, might have been Utah's highest draft pick this year because their own draft pick is top 10 protected, which I think right now they're in, like, the 13 to 14 range. So they would be losing the first round pick as of now. But then we end up seeing they get um the pick that's projected to be 28 in the Kelly Olenek trade anyway. So the fact that they didn't really have any substantial draft capital in this specific class, I think they did a good job getting the 32nd overall pick for a guy they didn't really see in the future plans. Yeah, I, I mean, I am a fan of Simone. Um, personally, I, I kind of agree with your sentiment. I will say one thing. Um, I think that, Detroit now it's almost like and I think we saw a few of these trades happen whether it was Paso Siakam, OG Anobi to a much lesser extent Simone Fontecchio it's that theory of pre-agency right like let's give them a chance to kind of see our I don't want to say see our culture but get a role on this team if you're Detroit see where you fit in and then see if we can you know look into bringing you back next year or for a longer term arrangement and so I think that was more to the effect of what Detroit was trying to do there for sure um he definitely was out of nowhere for me, but I think he'll get more time. He's a really talented stretch wing or stretch big. And so I think obviously there's some value in that. But yeah, I mean, personally, I think that was Detroit's um, mindset there because I don't know, it just that seems to vibe with what they've been doing. Um, as far as the Jazz, I mean, listen, you get a second round pick um, between Knox and Procida or Procida, I'm not really. I don't think they factor heavily into Utah's long-term plans, but they get off of a guy that wasn't really getting a whole lot of run for them, right? I think it works out okay for both sides. I will note that, obviously, the Pistons did trade Bershon Bogdanovich the next day, and uh, Fontecchio could kind of fill in some of those minutes that mm -hmm. Bojan had. And younger. Yeah, and I like was actually... Years. To kind of transition into the next trade that happened, when I saw him go to Detroit, I'm like, okay, I'm glad Fontecchio didn't go to, like, Boston or something, because I think he could be pretty valuable for them. Like, I don't want him going to a contender where that would interfere with the Sixers' title plans, assuming Joel Embiid comes back healthy. Mm -hmm. So then a couple of hours later, if that, we see the Boston Celtics 
or trading for Xavier Tolman from the Memphis Grizzlies. I like Xavier Tolman a lot. Um, Boston does have, obviously, Christoph Porzingis and Al Horford, so they don't really need another big man, per se. Like, there's not a whole lot of big man minutes there, even if they play two big lineups. But the trade ends up being Xavier Tolman for Atlanta's 2027 second, Dallas's 2030 second, and Lamar Stevens. So basically how the trade was structured, initially Lamar Stevens wasn't reported. It was just reported Tolman for two seconds, which meant that Tolman was going to take a portion of the Grand Williams traded player exception away. And it also meant that Boston didn't have any roster spots open. Now, once Lamar Stevens was added, that kind of changed everything from a front office aspect of it. Um, I'm sort of surprised Memphis didn't get offered more for Tillman. I think Tillman's a pretty damn good player. Like, if Fontecchio was getting picked 32 in the draft, how did Tillman just net you two super out in the future seconds? That's what I was a little confused by. Um, but for Boston, getting Tillman's bird rights were very important. He is going to be a free agent this summer. And Boston could, you know, obviously go over the capture sign because they have his bird rights. And Memphis, between this deal and the Steven Adams for the Rockets deal, have acquired five second-round picks and shed money for guys that they couldn't really afford to pay given their likely upcoming luxury tax situation. So yeah. overall, I gave Boston an A-. minus. I gave Memphis a C plus. Uh, Gave an A for Boston. I gave a B-ish for – um. Well, I, I guess I'll go B minus for the Grizzlies. And the reason why it's like I get it. They're 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 expensive, right? Next year, I mean, between what? Um, John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Bain, Marcus Smart. Like you got a good group of folks that are gonna be there long term, right? Um somebody had to go. Xavier Tillman, while was given great minutes for them, I think is somebody that was expendable, especially since this year, I, I'm not sure. The Grizzlies aren't quite bottoming out, but, like, they definitely are trying to win, right? And so, fine. You get some more draft capital. That can prove handy. If you go in the offseason, you want to package that with some of your other players. You saw they uh, let lose David Roddy to, like, see where they go moving forward if they want to add upgrades to the roster once, you know, the offseason's there and you realize, okay, Jaws back healthy and Smart's back healthy and we just re-up. Re now you have some more ammo to do that. For, um, but I do wonder, like, at this point, who's playing center for the Grizzlies, right, long-term? Outside of Jaron Jackson Jr., who, between foul troubles and injuries, like, I think it's a, a pertinent question to ask. Um, but for Boston, yeah, Xavier Tillman is, is the perfect kind of balance at center they have. So they have a lot of stretch bigs at, over there, and now you have a guy who's, like, the kind of rough, hard-hat type of guy that can kind of offset, you know, some of the play that you get from your other center. So it's a nice little balance there between, you know, your stretch big, Christos Brzingis, Al Horford, that, and then you're also like, okay, like Tillman can shoot a three, but that's not his game at all. Definitely someone who's going to be around the basket, in the short roll, dunker spot, rebounding, grit. Like that sort of mentality will be very helpful for Boston, and he can still play alongside or Brzingis or Horford in a 4-5 alignment. Yeah, to answer your question, Memphis – I mean, obviously they have Brandon Clark, but his game was predicated on athleticism and he's coming off a torn Achilles, so that worries me. Uh, I think the answer to your question is he's not on the team right now. Whoever their big man, unless they're just going to roll with Jaron Jackson and Santi Aldama as a four and five mostly, with Brandon Clark playing the backup minutes, then that question, I mean, but like, let's say the Grizzlies, I think, are what, sixth in lottery odds right now, seventh? 
let's say they get in the top four and they could get an Alex Sar or something, then all of a sudden they they don't have to worry about that a whole lot. Um, which should be ironic because Alex Sar's game is a little um repetitive with Jaron Jackson as well. But okay. Then the last trade we saw on Wednesday was Shake Milton, Troy Brown, and Minnesota's 2032nd round pick to the Detroit Pistons for Monte Morris. Minnesota desperately, like, that was the biggest need was back a point guard after Mike Conley. Because, like, even when Mike Conley would miss time, they were just a disaster because they didn't really have a backup. So it would be Anthony Edwards playing more of a traditional playmaker role. And just, like, Minnesota needed the stability. So they're just under the tax now with two open roster spots. And obviously Tim Conley and Monte Morris had that connection from Tim Conley's days in Denver. Overall, I gave both teams a B. Um, I think it was good business by Detroit to get anything for Morris, given he's only played, I think it was 86 minutes for them all year. And yeah, Minnesota, if Monte Morris could be as good even as good as he was last year. Last year, he was a little overextended at, uh, playing as a starting point guard. But he's been known to being one of the better backup point guards in the NBA. So as long as they're getting that version of Monte Morris, maybe a B is a little too low. I just think the jury's out given the injuries and the lack of playing time that Monte Morris has had of what version Minnesota's getting of Monte Morris. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. He's obviously had kind of injury riddled the last couple of seasons, also on some underperforming, underperforming teams, so not super great. But I did listen to the Dane Moore podcast, and he had a guest on who covered um, Monte Morris on, I think it was Ryan Blackburn, if I remember, when he was on the Nuggets. And one thing he said about Monte Morris I found interesting was Mike Conley liked, which I thought was really kind of an interesting um uh, player comp, if you were to go with that. And somebody who, you know, manages the game, could be a little more assertive offensively. He's not that, but he's really good. It's his turnover ratio. It gets you in your offense. He'll play decent defense. Like he's a solid guard. And I think some of it is, you know, the teams that he has been on that have not looked great. He doesn't look great. I think you could say the same thing for a guy like Tyus Jones. But at the same time, put him on a solid, competent team with good players around him, and I think he'll thrive. You know, and we saw him man the Denver Nuggets a couple years ago without Jamal Murray, you know, where he was the guy running the show and getting playing off of Nicole Jokic and getting Aaron Gordon involved and doing all of those things. It was Monte Morris on a, on a top, you know, six team in the West. So, like, we've seen him before. He doesn't have, he doesn't have that weight on his shoulders now. It's just to be constant backup, spot starter at times, and then we'll see what happens next season, you know, when it comes to Mike Conley, where they bring him back and elevate Monte as a starter, whatever the case may be. It does give Minnesota the answer they need at guard or backup guard because they haven't had it all season long. And then for Minnesota, I mean, not only do you get that, but you get off of three guys or two guys that weren't really doing too much. Shake Milton has had a god-awful season in Minnesota. Like, everything was going wrong. His shot's been bad. Like, his efficiency's been ridiculous. Like, it's just not been good for him in Minnesota. So maybe Detroit will give him the, the, the launching pad time he needs to get back on track. I mean, Troy Brown Jr., I mean, he's been I, – I love the guy, but he's been Troy Brown Jr. Like, he doesn't stand out. I wouldn't say he's like a horrible season, but he's not had a great season. He's just kind of been there. And so, in Detroit, maybe he'll be able to blend in. He's an intriguing playmaking wing. Doesn't quite shoot the ball enough or as accurate for my liking, but is a solid player. So, maybe there's something to be said there. But, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's my take on it. Both would get Bs for me as well. Okay, so let's talk about the trades that happened on actual deadline day on Thursday. First one I have is 
It ended up becoming a three-team trade that ended up being... It were two separate trades that were announced hours apart, but it ended up being converted as a three-team trade, and this is important, and I'll explain why. The Sixers get Buddy Heald. The Pacers get Doug McDermott, Furkan Korkmaz, who they have since waived. The 2024 Toronto second, which is, I think, pick 37 in the draft as of now. 2029 Portland seconds. Then San Antonio gets Marcus Morris and a 2029 seconds from the Clippers, and that was from the Sixers that they got that pick. Um, This is important that it was executed as a three-team trade and not two separate trades, because when I saw it was separated, it, when it was two separate trades, the Sixers have three open roster spots as of now, after all the moves they made. They could have, if... Morris went to Indiana, then he went to San Antonio, then San Antonio bought him out. The Sixers could have then got Marcus Morris back with one of those roster spots on a minimum. But because this was executed as a three-team trade, Sixers are ineligible to get Marcus Morris back now. Because they were the team that most recently traded him. I saw you point that out on, on Twitter uh, yesterday or today, and it was interesting reading that because, yeah, that was an interesting detail that, like, they could have gotten him back. I thought they just gave him the keys to the city a month ago. You know, the solid play was just starting to get more minutes. I don't know why they didn't. Given, like, I know one of those roster spots, like, it's been floated everywhere that we're likely going to get Kyle Lowry once he's bought up by the Hornets. But even so, like, bringing Marcus Morris back then gives you the forward depth, and then you still have one more roster spot to play with. So I'm kind of surprised that Daryl Morey was willing to execute this as a three-team trade rather than a two-team trade. But yeah. overall, I didn't even grade the Spurs in here by accident. I gave the Sixers a B plus. I gave the Pacers a B. And yeah, I guess I'll give the Spurs a B as well. I mean, they got off McDermott's expiring and got a second round pick that's far out in the future. Who the hell knows what it's gonna be? Um yeah, I, I did know here poor Marcus Morris got traded after finally playing for his hometown team. For Concorkmots after seven years on the Sixers. Requested a trade three times, finally got out and got cut. Um, I think this was a great trade for six. That's why I gave them a B plus. They maintained all the tradable first round picks they got from the Clippers and their own, mm-hmm. and they're still a cash space team. The summer the Sixers could have up to I think sixty three million dollars in cash space this summer, and it was reported by Chris Haynes yesterday that if Paul George doesn't sign an extension with the Clippers, that they're going to be a real suitor for Paul George. Um, otherwise, I don't I don't know what there is to really say the cash space for. This is a pretty weak free agent class. Like when the best free agents in this class are Tobias Harris and Buddy Heald, and you already have both of them on your roster, then I don't know what the point of having the cash space is. Yeah, I'm um, not sure either. So uh, I I suppose Daryl Moore has bigger plans that are unforeseen by people like us. But the Sixers did create a 5.4 million dollar trade player exception, and. Let me go to the next trade because it also is Sixers-centric. They basically give a 2024 Knicks second-round pick, which is probably going to be in the late 40s somewhere, early 50s, and Denol House to the Pistons for basically a pick that's never going to convey. This got the Sixers under the luxury tax. So now the Sixers cannot be in the repeater tax any earlier than the 2028 NBA season. That's a long time away. So while teams like Milwaukee and Golden State and 
Clippers right now are already paying the repeater tax. The Sixers are avoiding that for at least another, you know, four years because they mm-hmm. need to be in it for three consecutive years before they become a repeater tax team. So that, I mean, I, I know hopefully people that listen to this podcast care because I care about stuff like that. And that's, you know, kind of what I'm trying to inform people on. But I know the average NBA fan and Sixers fans in general don't give a shit if they pay the tax or not. But it basically, it saved the Sixers ownership $18 million because not only are you not paying the luxury tax, but you're getting the tax distribution from the teams that are paying the tax. So this was basically here. Take Daniel House in a sec- late second round pick, and you know we'll get $18 million. So through these two trades, Sixers created a $4.3 and a $5.4 million trade exception. After this trade went down, Woj tweeted, it's likely the Sixers are paving the way to sign Kyle Lowry in the buyout market. Um. I will note that Detroit was three guys over the roster limit, so they had to do cap gymnastics to get these trades completed. They let go of Killian Hayes. They let go of Danilo Gallinari. They ended up trading or waiving Danilo House after getting him, and they also waived Ryan Archidiakonel. So, oh, and Joe Harris as well. So there was a whole bunch of um, maneuvering the Pistons had to do to really get under. I will note for Joe Harris... He's an interesting buyout candidate because very rarely you see an elite shooter like that. I don't know if he's still the same level shooter he was when we saw him in Brooklyn. He hasn't really played this year. I don't think he's played at all this year, actually. But what I will note is there's seven teams that are above the first apron that can't sign Joe Harris, that can't sign Kyle Lowry, that can't sign Marcus Morris. Any guy who makes over $12.4 million is ineligible to be traded due to the new CBA. To a, or, ineligible to sign as a buyout candidate, a team over the first apron. So that's someone who makes over $12.4 million. That's Boston, Phoenix, Golden State, Clippers, Miami, Milwaukee, and Denver. So those seven teams got to pivot to a guy like Denol House or to a guy like Jetty Osman or, I don't know, Furkan Korkmaz, someone like that who was bought out. If Shake Milton gets bought, Danilo Gallinari is eligible. I think Danilo Gallinari, quite frankly, ends up in Boston. Because Boston signed him, he tore his ACL that summer, never got to play for them, and he ended up being a salary filler in a deal where he ended up in Washington and then Detroit. So I think Boston has an open roster spot. I think that makes a whole lot of sense for him. But for a guy like Joe Harris, it makes sense a team like the Sixers or the Knicks or the Lakers, a team who's eligible to sign um, Joe Harris. But those seven teams are not. I mean, are we sure Joe, Joe Harris isn't cooked? He might be, but we don't know. We have no freaking clue. I so, mean, I, on the one hand, you're right. I, I agree with you on that. But on the other hand, I feel like he would have gotten playing time if he wasn't. Like, like say, I feel the same about Evan Fournier. Maybe I'll be wrong with both of those people. But, like, it's not like – it's not like – like, there was – both teams have had them gone through cycles of, hey, we want to be competitive, so we're not being competitive. So, okay, let's just save face, whether it's New York or it's Detroit, right? And neither of them have gotten them run. Like, I just – I don't know. That's just my thought. My theory is that it's a wrap. So Detroit, Monty Williams, Coleman, we did a couple of years ago, like best coaches in the NBA rankings. We both had Monty Williams pretty high up there. How he was starting might Killian, have fallen? He was starting Killian Hayes. Like, I, I'm not putting in any any ounce of, oh, well, Joe House must be cooked because Monty Williams in a plan. I don't mm. think Monty Williams knows how to coach a rebuilding team, quite frankly. So I'm not going to put too much stock in that. And Evan Fournier, I know you just said, for example, Evan Fournier was cooking in Fran- for France to someone in the FIBA World Cup. 
So I still think Evan Fournier has some game. Okay. But either, that's fair. You know why? I, I don't know if Joe Harris is cooked. That's something that his team's got to evaluate before signing him. But Spencer Dinwiddie, I know you're not a fan of him. He was bought out. We'll talk about that. It's been reported that the Lakers and Mavs are the two front runners for him. Um, Kyle Lowry seems like going to be a sixer. Marcus Morris, I have no idea where he's going to go. Same thing with Joe Harris. Lakers so, it, again, Mars. these teams can't sign with those seven teams that are above the first apron. So, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But, meanwhile, Utah traded Kelly Olenek and Ochai Baji to Toronto for salary filler, which was Kyra Lewis and Otto Porter, and a 2024 first that is the least favorable of Houston, Utah Clippers, and OKC. So that's currently set at the 28 pick. So basically, whoever has a better record between OKC and the Clippers, it's going to be that wherever that pick lines up, essentially. Um, mm. People were confused. And I know you guys talked a little bit about this on the Sports Ethos stream, that Keith Cork said he was a little confused by this trade in terms of why is Toronto trading first-round picks when they just traded off, you know, Ananobi and Siakam and kind of leaning towards a rebuild. I think this is sort of along the lines of what Toronto's been wanting to do. I mean, Toronto doesn't really want to bottom out, like, completely. If they did, they wouldn't have traded for Emmanuel Cookie and R.J. Barrett for Ananobi. They just would have been focused on acquiring first-round picks. Siakam, mm-hmm. same thing. They Siakam was more pick-centric, but they're clearly not trying to bottom out. So they they value Kelly Olenek. I think they value Ochai Baji, who was a lottery pick, two drafts ago, more than who they would have got at pick 28 in what's perceived as a weaker class. I have no issue with this for Toronto in terms of giving up that pick to get Olenek and Abaji because it's along the lines of what they've been doing. They have a direction that they want to go, and they're continuing that direction. Overall, I gave Utah a B because I think they gave up on Abaji too quickly. He, It seems like he was just more of a throw-in in order to get the first, when I think they could have got a first with for Olenek on his own. And I get Toronto a B-plus for being able to get Agbaji and Olenek, both of whom I think are more valuable than the pick they gave up in this deal. Well, honestly, I want to ask you this, because I had you on my show talking, and that's going to drop, talking about the draft um, several times now, and it's going to happen a few more times. But my one question is this. Um, because first-round first round picks seem to have been more or less dismissed by many of the teams in this, like is that an indictment on this current draft class? Because you're right. Like, a team looked and said, okay, Kelly Olenek, a team that's not winning, I might add, looked at Kelly Olenek and said, hey, we can bring him back next season. You know, stretch big, great passing, love what he does. They looked at Ochai Baji, who's two years into his contract, his rookie deal, and said, more of a sure thing than the first-round pick. That, yes, we'll be in the, like, last of the first round or, or undoubtedly one of the last five picks there, right? But looked over, saw that, and said, yeah, we'll take Ochai. We don't need this mystery box. Like, do you think that that's more of an indictment on the class? Because they're not willing to. I mean, come on. Oche Agbaji is a nice player, but, like, he's not – he's he's okay. I would have taken a first-round pick, but I am I would have taken a first-round pick in other draft classes maybe. So, I don't know if it's an indictment on the draft class or not. Just because specifically what Tirvano was looking to do is, you know, not totally bottom out, like I said. So – Maybe they don't want to add more. I mean, they already have Indiana's first, and they have their own first if it falls pick seven or later. Their own first is top six protected, so as of now, 
how things fall. I think those six of San Antonio would get it from the Jacopo deal. But they might already have two firsts in this class that are higher than this one. So I don't know because I was I forget who I was talking to about this the other day, but I said, look, everyone said the same thing about 2013 class. It produced Giannis. Everyone said 2020, oh, there's no top end talent at the top. This is a weak class. And then all of a sudden, Desmond Bain goes 30, Tyrese Maxey goes 21, Halliburton goes 11, and you get LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards are one and three. Um, everyone said, oh my God, uh, Zion and Jaws one and two's dynamite. When quite frankly, I know both those guys are very, very talented, but it hasn't played out that way. 2022, everyone said, oh my God, Kate Cunningham, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, Scotty Barnes. Sure, those guys are good, but none of them have really, I know it's only year three for them, but, and Scotty Barnes, yes, he was an all-star replacement, and Evan Mobley is a hell of a defender, but like, these draft classes have been so unpredictable that I don't, I have no idea what's, you're going to find an all-star somewhere in this class. You're going to find probably multiple all-stars somewhere in this class. Do I know where? Is it going to be a one, two, or three? Is, or is it going to be at 12, 13, 14? I have no idea. But uh, what I'm trying to preface is like 2020 was, oh my God, this class is so weak, this class is so weak. That draft class looks like it's going to be historically good. Yeah, so, I mean. I, I don't know. I mean, it's that's that's part of the unpredictability about it. Really. Very true. Very true. No, I guess you're right. That was the question I had. I wanted to ask you because you are one of the few I know that really covers both. Um, and I looked and that was my own observation of, hmm, maybe this is it. Not saying it is, but just not knowing. Well, I, I don't even know if it's this class, but the 28th pick in the draft is obviously a late first. Late first don't always hit, you know? Like... It could be a strong class, and the pick 28 could be a flop. But for Toronto, Toronto is one of the better uh, evaluation talent skills along with player development that I would have trusted Toronto to make this 28 pick, and they would have been an impact player. But Mm. Utah has Danny Ange, and Danny Ange, yes, he has some draft misses, but he has some also very big draft hits as well. So... Yeah, uh, Danny Ainge is trusting himself, trusting his scouting department, says, yeah, I'll take the 28th pick for expiring Kelly Olenek and Ochai Baji, who at best is probably your role player, and by the time we're ready to compete, his rookie deal is already over. That's probably the rationale behind it. So I, I like it for both teams. Yeah. No, I don't have a lot to add on that either. I think solid for both. Um, I thought there was quite a few trades here that really wasn't a lot of comment. There's a few that were like, huh. But for the most part, this is an example of one that, okay, I saw why one team did, I saw the other team. I'm with it on both. Okay, so let's talk about a few trades that do warrant some comments. Yes. Hornets trade Gordon Hayward, who there was speculation he was going to be bought out. So first of all, good for the Hornets for getting anything for him without having to buy him out. Thunder get Trey Man or Thunder trade to the Hornets. Trey Man, Davis Bertans, Vasily Michich, a 2024 second and 2025 second, which it wasn't specified which seconds those are. Okay, so he obviously has a ton of picks. But I, I'm going to assume their OKC's own Gibner wasn't specified. I gave the Thunder an A minus. I gave the Hornets a B plus for this. Um, we talked about this during our trade deadline preview that I said the Thunder have to trade Davis Bertans while they still have their contract on the books to salary match, and the Knicks have to trade Evan Fournier while his contracts are on the books. Otherwise, they expire. Then all of a sudden, you're going to have to use your role player to salary match for a bigger guy. I said both of those deals were 
use it or lose it. Both of them used it. They're actually next two trades we're talking about. So Gordon Hayward, presuming he's healthy, which at this point, OKC only really needs him by the playoffs, but assuming he's healthy, gives them another guy who could pass dribble and shoot. Gordon Hayward's had a hell of a year when he's been healthy this year. Um, I, I really like this year because OKC gave up nothing. I mean, Trey Mann, yes, he had a great summer league this year, but he didn't really, he wasn't in the rotation. Davis Bertans was literally acquired specifically to salary match for a deal like this. And Vasily J. Michich has been okay in times, but he's a 30-year-old rookie who's won multiple EuroLeague MVPs, and it looks like he's having issue adapting the speed of the game. And they had him signed for three years. Now they got off that contract. Bertans is $5 million guaranteed next year. They got off that money. Trey Mann had an op- a team option, so he could have, if they don't want to keep him, they could have just got um got uh declined his option. And mm-hmm. basically they gave up two second on picks, got off all that money. Now they have cat space, some cat space at least this summer, and it's the last summer they could really use cat space before Jalen Williams and Chet Holmgren really get expensive in terms yep. of their extensions. So I think this was a home run for OKC, and I think the Hornets did fine as well for a guy that they almost had to buy out. Um, oh, I agree. I agree. I gave both A's, actually. I was happy that OKC was able to move off of Gordon Hayward. Like, you know, let him go for nothing. No, you got an intriguing guard prospect and Trey Mann. You have another guy, like I said, 2022 EuroLeague MVP. See if he adjusts, he'll be giving you some minutes, right? Um, and you're able to get something for nothing. Like, I would have been fine with the second-round pick or just, uh, I don't know, a light – like. I would have been better with far less than what the Hornets got back in exchange for Gordon Hayward. And if you're OKC, listen, he's not done at the start. When Josh Giddy's jumper goes awry and everything, like give him the closing minutes. He fits with that group. You can bring him back in on a smaller contract deal. Um, he's somebody who's shooting the ball 36% from three, uh, averaging a four, a career-high 4.7 assists per game. You know, defensively slipped a little bit, but he's a solid guy. He does everything pretty well. And now you're on a team where you don't have, he doesn't have to be the first like the best player, which goodness no, that hasn't been since like 2016. Doesn't be the second best player. Doesn't have to be a third best player. Just a really strong ancillary player who could step in in big moments and help this team out. And I really think it's a good addition with the major caveat of if he stays healthy. OKC is going to be really deep come playoff time if Gordon Hayward's healthy. I mean, so you have what? Chet, Jalen Williams, Gordon Hayward, SGA, and probably Lou Dort is the fist auto with Josh Giddy being shifted to the bench. I mean, yeah. that's the hell of a team this year. That's nasty. I'm with it. That's totally nasty. Again, if healthy, that's the big thing. Because if he's just sitting on the bench. But, like, they didn't give up anything of value. So if he's not healthy, he's not healthy. And then you just shed the money next year of Mitchich and Bertans. Oh, but, no, no. I'm not saying it's bad at all. But obviously, you make the trade no, and play. Yeah, no, yeah. I agree with you. Like, there's a zero cost. Like, if not, they have more or less the same team they had going in. So I completely agree with you on that. Like, if, if not, then it's fine. But I guess I was more thinking, like, okay, you got him. Obviously, this is, like, your one move to kind of bolster this team as you go on your first playoff adventure, you know? So, no, you, you're right. Either way, they don't lose anything. But, obviously, I'm a little down on his injuries. I hope that he's able to play. Yeah, uh, it was a very uh, low-risk, high-reward type trade. Um. The Pistons and Knicks made a deal. The Knicks acquired Alec Burks and Bojan Bogdanovic from the Pistons. The Knicks gave to the Pistons Quinn Grimes, who might have been the most valuable asset moved on deadline day, and we'll talk about that. Quinn Grimes, Evan Fournier, 
Malachi Flynn, Ryan Archidiacono, and two second-round picks, 2028 and 2029, that are both least favorable of two different teams. So odds are they're probably going to be low-end picks. So low-end second-round picks. So my question is, I mean, was this enough for the Pistons for giving up Bojan and Brooks? I mean, yes, as I said, Grimes probably is the most valuable asset traded on draft day or on deadline day. But, like, that's really all they got. I mean, the seconds are almost nothing. They're so far out in the future, and odds are they're going to be late. But, like, I don't know. I mean, they gave up Grimes still. So, like, that's where I'm at. I'm like, I don't know how to value these because I don't know how to value Quinn and Grimes. For the Knicks, I gave an A. They were able to add this year OG Ananobi, Alec Burks, Bojan Bogdanovich, and Precious Achua without giving up any other first. They have eight first and eight seconds to still trade after the steal. They are still $2.6 million under the luxury tax, and they needed to use Evan Fournier's contract to salary match. They were able to do that with no issue. Pistons, I still gave it a B plus because, again, they did get the best asset on deadline day in Quinn and Grimes. I just, I don't know if they could have gotten more or not. Yeah, I took an A for the Knicks, B for the other two teams. I think it was solid. I think that for the Pistons, I mean, listen, there wasn't a first-round pick obviously coming for those guys, right? They didn't get it, right? But you did get some draft capital. You took zero long-term money. I think that's good. You took a player in Quentin Grimes that and Fontecchio that at least seem to have a future moving forward. If you're the Knicks, yes, like you did a really good job. You got the two players to augment your bench. You have some shooting. You have some shot creation ability. But also, you know, you have some traded player exceptions created from that trade, right? So, like, um, I, I think all of them did solidly enough. And then um, what team am I missing here? Well, you mentioned Fontecchio. This was a two-team oh, trade. So I, the, I'm, I know. I'm looking at, I'm, you know what it is. I have the sheets you have, and I also have them graded by just teams. Got That's it. what I'm messing up. So my own sheet is literally just, like, each team, the transactions they did, and grading off of that um, in comparison to your awesome – document showcasing all the trades so going i'm getting mixed up on that that's why every time we go in i'm generalizing it because i've already looked at all of them and given like a grade for all of them but i didn't grade each deal individually i guess i took it in summation but yeah for the pistons like i said no long-term money that's great like at the end of the day i thought if you were gonna get burks and them back hopefully you get a first round pick some additional draft capital but i definitely thought they'd be matching contracts that would extend far past this year you know that didn't happen that works for them right um, you get younger players that you can at least try to figure out what happens. I mean, even Fonteca, who's almost 30, is younger than both Burks and Bogdanovich by like a few years. So that's interesting, right? Quinn Grimes, not sure what to make of him. Guess what? We'll find out in Detroit. We weren't finding out in New York, right? So we'll see how that looks. And for New York, they got the players they needed to help out their team. And I think that's important as well. And, you know, I think a winner, I graded a player individually. I graded Evan Fournier individually um, because guess what? He wins too. Yeah, and again, Quinn and Grimes, I've known multiple people in the industry that I've spoken with have said, and I know I sound like a broken record because I just said this, but they think he is the best player and asset that was moved on deadline day. So, you know, he's, what, making $2 million next year on his rookie deal? Like, you have, like, a rotation player for almost nothing. That's only, what, 22, 23 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Let's get into the two trades that Dallas made. Dallas essentially got, these were two separate deals. Dan Gafford, PJ Washington, and two second round picks. They basically got Washington and Gafford. They gave up for Sean Holmes, 
2028 pick swap. Grant Williams, Seth Curry, and a 2027 first that is only top two protected. Dallas gave up such a haul, and they gave up that 2028 swap to OKC for OKC to basically give them a 2024 first. That's likely to be picked 26 or 27 to give to Washington for Gafford, essentially. So Dallas gave up. Dallas now has no control over their own pick in 2027, 2028, 2029, or 2030. And Lucas' contract is up at the end of 2026. That is playing with fire. Just to go from Grant Williams to P.J. Washington and add Dane Gafford? Do we even know P.J. Washington is definitely better than Grant Williams? So I think this was more I was listening to uh, the Hoop Collective with Tim McMahon, um, Tim, Tim McMahon um, talking to Brian Windhorst. And apparently it seems like it was no. That's a long story short, possibly, but no. Like I know advanced numbers don't look well in P.J. Washington's uh, argument at all, right? But Grant Williams has not had a great year, and according to Tim McMahon, not only was Grant Williams not necessarily a fit in the um, Mavs locker room, like he had rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, he also, and this is just a very funny note, went from yeah, wearing... You told me about he wore the... He yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I read, the, I read the song um, X. So he basically stopped Luca sneakers and started wearing Jason Tatum sneakers. And then well, people... Shoot him. Oh, he's seven years old. Are you that petty? Like, who gives listen, a shit what sneakers he wears? Listen, well, I think I think it was more than that. That I mean, you're right. That's I mean, listen, who gives if a, it was a only lot of that. a lot of and if it was only that, I agree with you. I don't think it was, but like he was also having just a horrible season, right? A guy that you created a first round pick for, right? In a sign and trade. Like, no, I'm sorry. Um, but also, no, you're right. Who's petty? Listen. Steven, you know better than anyone. NBA players can be plenty petty. Plenty petty. Speaking of, I can't wait to get to Pat Beverly because he's going on just by being around the league so much. He's been around long enough to have beefs with several players and then have to join them and make up the beef. <laughs> First, Russell Westbrook. Now, Damian Lillard. It's hilarious. We'll get to that. But also, yeah, about the NBA players being petty. Come on now. We know that they are. It'd be stupid if that was the one reason. But we also know he's not been playing well. Like, P.J., for, for all of his faults and advanced number issues, like he's had a solid season in, in Washington, more or less. I've watched a lot of P.J. Washington in, in, in Charlotte. Um, and you could say objectively like Grant Williams has not had a great season in Dallas. So even if it's a marginal upgrade, that still counts as an upgrade. Yeah, but to give up a 2027 top two first, I'm not giving that for marginal upgrade. That's a premium asset when Lucas contracts over in 2026. I agree. I agree. I think the argument here is that, listen, if you're going to ride it out with Grant Williams and end up losing more and you're just underwhelming, you might not even have the chance to have Luka Doncic. There's a play on you being a little better to get Luka to sound the dotted line so that that first-round pick is in the late teens into, like, the 20s, you know, when that time rolls around. Um, even who knows if Dallas gets better, even, you know, toward the back half of, of, of the first round, right? Because right now, if you don't put any every, empty out every bullet in that chamber, you don't have to worry about Luka. And then you're going to have some, some, rough, some rough years in Dallas. So, like, am I a fan of making that deal for P.J. Washington? No, I'm not. At the same time, got to make a deal at some point. Keep on losing. I'm sorry, this isn't a Lakers 39-year-old LeBron James. There's a super-duper star who can actively go. 
And if you're underwhelming in any way, listen, once he signs on, then you can start moving on and figuring out how to, you know, augment and 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 use more, I don't know, um, tradescraft. But right now, nah, you need to get more wins. You need to convince him why he needs to stay. Because right now, Dallas has not done a good job of doing that, in my opinion. So, in total, I gave OKC an A. All OKC really did is they took Dallas's 2028 swap rights for what's going to be pick 26 or 27 in this draft. When OKC needs to consolidate anyway, they're not going to have the roster spot for all those rookies next year for all the picks they have. So, why not just take it out in 2028 to pick his upside and just see what happens? Um, Dallas, I gave a C plus because I think they gave up way too much for way too little. Washington finally got a first. They didn't get a first for Chris Stops. They didn't get a first for Bradley Beal, but they were able to get a first for for Dan Gafford. I gave them an A. And the Hornets, I gave an A minus because they, yes, they took on Grant Williams and Seth Curry. Seth Curry's non-guaranteed next year. But yeah, so they swapped PJ Washington for Grant Williams and got a first. I like it for them. I think Grant Williams, hopefully, will be a bonus in the Hornets locker room. But otherwise, yeah. Um, Plus, he's from there. Like, it's a homecoming yeah. for him. It's a homecoming for Seth Curry. Yeah. He might get some playing time. And we'll have his dad calling his games. Okay. The next trade I have here that didn't make a whole lot of sense for me for one of the teams, the Raptors traded Dennis Schroeder and Thaddeus Young to the Nets. For Spencer Dinwiddie, and then subsequently the Raptors cut Spencer Dinwiddie to avoid paying him a $1.5 million roster bonus. Schroeder is $13 million on the books for next year while Dinwiddie's expiring. So this lines up with the Nets theory that they refused to tank, and they just said, shit, we don't have a point guard next year, let's trade for Dennis Schroeder and he'll be our point guard next year. But, like, you had Dinwiddie's expiring, why did you... Need to make this trade. You just got to let Dinwiddie walk, and it would have helped, you know, along with a little bit of the tanking process. But again, they don't have their own pick. So I guess that's the theory behind it. They figure, okay, Schroeder, I could flip at next year's deadline, get some value, but I don't have my own pick, so I have no incentive to really tank. I suppose that's what the rationale is. But they took Schroeder's deal along for next year when they had Dinwiddie expiring. For Toronto, they got all Schroeder's $13 million next year. Toronto now holds up to $35 million in cash space next summer. Um, And Thaddeus Young also was bought out by the Nets. So, yeah, I suppose my rationale is for both teams. Toronto wanted the cash space. Nets figure, okay, we're not going to cash space anyway. We might as well take the assets since we have we don't have our own picks and mm-hmm. we can't really tank. Um. Nets, I'll give a B minus. Raptors, I gave a B plus. I also gave Bs. I didn't do the B minus on that. I guess the Raptors. No, I'm gonna drop it down to a C. I, I guess because I, I, I I'm, I'm now I'm again I'm retroactively grading individually. But for Toronto, I didn't understand that. Like, why did you like it from their perspective? Because they shed 13 million dollars next year when they're clearly prioritizing cap space. For what? Again, the same argument you made for Philly. Why are they why are they prioritizing the cap space? For, for Buddy Hield? For for who? Like it's a good move, I guess, to shave cap space. I'm just trying to, you know what? I'll give it back a B. Because you're right. Like I'm I'm again, I'm not grading, okay, they save money. For what? Like, what is the goal? What are they trying to do? Are they trying to contend? But about Scotty Barnes, like, who are you looking at? And I guess that was my issue there. 
But it was – I mean, those players weren't really doing a whole lot in your long-term Well, Dennis Schroeder, they signed. They signed Dennis Schroeder. He was a great locker room guy. When they, lost, when they lost Frank Lee, they wanted Schroeder yes. to be the guy. Now yeah. they have a manual quickly. So why not get our Schroeder's money? You have to pay quickly this summer. You have to pay Olenek this summer. You're going to have to pay be paid Gary Trent this summer. No, so I why do that. you want Schroeder on the books? That's true. And you know what? I forgot quickly. I didn't put quickly in my thing because that happened yeah. before. But you're right. That's something that's kind of big to calculate. Well, he's going to be no. getting $100 million this summer. So he most definitely is. Oh, and yep, again, makes sense. Not preserve the cap space because a lot of it's going to the guys you already have on the roster. You asked for what? I told you for what. Yeah. And you, you totally did. I No, you – this is why you're the front office expert anyways. Okay. I also like what the Phoenix Suns did. They got Royce O'Neal and David Roddy. They gave up four – when this came out, it said Royce O'Neal, Shames Wooden, it is Royce O'Neal and four salaries and second-round picks. Just salaries. That That's all Shames. That's what these guys are, salaries. I thought it was going to be Nasio Little going back to the Nets. I I, I thought it was almost a lock because that's the only guy who really made sense to Royce O'Neal. This is the last year under the new CBA that a team like Phoenix, who's above the second apron, could aggregate four minimum guys to get to Royce O'Neal's number, basically, mm. of um, being able to salary match. So they get Royce O'Neal and David Roddy. David Roddy goes into a trade player exception. The Grizzlies got a pick swap from Phoenix, which is probably the second best because Washington already has a pick swap with them from the Bradley Beal trade. So it's probably second best of the three. They basically get, they got something for David Roddy while getting off his money. Um, Grizzlies also took on Utah Watanabe and Shemezi Mitu, who apparently they're getting rid of Mitu, who I kind of like. Um, the Nets got Jordan Goodwin, who they're letting go of. Kata Bates Giop and three second round picks. And yeah, the Suns got Royce O'Neal. Suns also have two open roster spots now to play with in terms of the buyout market or free agents. But the Suns got Royce O'Neal. They got his bird rights, which is important. They could re-sign him with his bird rights. Because Phoenix isn't going to have the taxpayer MLA. They're going to have nothing. They could only sign minimums with how deep into the tax they are. So getting Royce O'Neal's bird rights and David Roddy, if you think he could be a player on an expire or on a rookie deal, it just makes sense. So Phoenix, I gave a B plus. Memphis, I gave a B plus. Nets, I left blank. I don't know why. I guess because the Nets didn't really do it. They, they lost Royce O'Neal for three seconds, basically. I'll give them a B. 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 Not a B minus, a B. B. That's solid. Um, yeah. I like it. Um, yeah, I gave an... A for Phoenix, I gave a B for Memphis. I think Phoenix got some significant upgrades and didn't have to give up a whole lot um, to do so. I also thought that some of the, I think two of the three guys, I think it was Kata Bates Diop and try to remember the other. Was it Utah Watanabe? Oh, I think Memphis? they both. No, no, no. I'm saying, and again, putting this in the group for who did, for who they got. We're talking Memphis, about Memphis got a pick swap, Watanabe and Shemezi Mitu, who apparently they're letting go of Mitu. Exactly. That's what I, those are the two. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. I was saying both of those two had to give up um their player option, or one of them had to give up their player option. Like one of them, both of them, two of the of the of who Phoenix sent out had to agree to be traded. I thought that was interesting. But for them to upgrade from that with limited assets to use, I thought was a win for Phoenix. Yeah. No, they basically gave up. They only have I think four second rounders to trade. They gave up three of them, and. 
Yeah, they gave up three of that, three of the four picks they had to get Royce O'Neal and his bird rights. I think it was a good deal. Um, they they were so strapped with what they could do. The fact that they were able to get O'Neal is pretty astonishing. And they still have Nasir yep. Little's um salary to salary match next year in another deal if they are able to. And they're gonna have to re-sign Grayson Allen and Royce O'Neal. They're gonna be they're gonna be the biggest tax bill ever after they re-sign those two. But. Mm. This trade alone, just by adding Royce O'Neal, adds $13.5 million to their tax bill. The Nets saved around $7 million. I'll note that. Um, I'm sure their ownership's happy. The next few trades, again, that's the last major ones. The Sixers traded Pat Bev, who I know a lot of Sixers fans are upset about. We traded Pat Bev for campaign and a 2027 Milwaukee seconds. Um, I wish Milwaukee's able to do more. I know they don't really have the matching salary to be able to, but I thought maybe they could package... Like, they have Portland's 2024 second. That's going to be the pick 35 in the draft. I wish they gave that pick with, like, Pat Connaughton for DeLon Wright. Or I wish they did something. But they end up getting Pat Beverly. They also had Marjan Bochamp and Andre Jackson. They could have packaged with that. So they could have done something. But the, the most they were able to do was Pat Bev. I gave the Sixers a B- minus because I think they downgraded on the player. But they got the asset. They recouped from getting rid of Buddy Heald's um, the three seconds when they – from the Buddy Heel deal. Bucks, I gave a B. I don't have much more to add with that. And I'll lump this in. The Sixers basically gave Jaden Springer to the Celtics for Chicago's 2024 second, which is currently pick 42. So the Sixers, I think, gave up Toronto's second to Indiana for Buddy Heald. They basically recouped that pick and moved down six spots. So in real, in reality, Sixers gave up two second-round picks Springer, Pat Bev, and all the guys for healed for healed on campaign, and now they have three open roster spots. Um, I like Springer for the Celtics. I know some six fans are being a little melodramatic and saying, "Oh, we just gave him the next Marcus Smart and Jaden Springer." Jaden Springer, yes, he did win G League Finals MVP last year, and he just, you know, had back to back nights where we were shorthanded where he covered Luca and Steph the whole night. But I don't. Sixers again, they're prioritizing cast base. Jaden Springer's on the books for four mil next year. Um, they're now going to have sixty-three million dollars in cash space by getting off of him up to, and like, Sixers are probably confident in the buyout market because of those seven teams we already discussed that aren't able to sign the big money guys that are getting bought out. Mm. Sixers probably feel confident they're going to get multiple of them, so they open up a roster spot. Jaden Springer and Pat Bev. Once the Sixers sign Kyle Lowry, it's not a lock that Pat Bev or Jaden Springer were going to be in the playoff rotation. So they got rid of both of them for picks. I mean, yeah, I, I think would I'd rather have Pat Bev than campaign personally. I agree, yeah. So, like, if again, if you're trying to win, that's confusing to me. But at the same time, like, especially in the backup guard spot, but then you're apparently making space for Kyle Lowry. But even then, I think Pat Bev is a much more complimentary player to Kyle Lowry than campaign is. Stronger defender, decent enough spot shooter. I mean, that, that's just my mindset on it. So I don't know. I'm, I'm again, you're part of the cash base. The the plan is laid out. It makes sense. I just don't know if I agree with it. So I think the Joel Embiid injury throws a wrench in some of this. I'm like, yes, let's buy Buddy Hill, but definitely. other parts and recoup some assets because this might be a lost year for us if Embiid's out for the playoffs. So that's what I think it was. I think that just kind of threw a wrench in the plans that okay, let's be buyers. This way, okay, yes, they could be buyers, but they could also sort of be sellers a little bit mm. without giving up like any prime guys. Um, 
Otherwise, nothing else really went down. We had Robin Lopez salary dumped to the Kings. We had Delano Bannon salary dumped to the Blazers. We had Corey Joseph salary dump to the Pacers, which actually saved Golden State $13.5 million by dumping Corey Joseph to Indiana. Who Indiana Why did the Pacers do it, though? They got a second-round pick for taking it. But, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, yes, I just don't – true. I, I get that idea. I understand, what, I guess, why they did it for the pick, but just, like, to take on a guy who's going to – I don't know. I guess you're right. Corey Joseph is only making, what, $3 million? He's only $13.5 million to go to state because how deep in the tax they are. That's true. You might as well just get picked for your trouble. So, they, yeah, they took – and it's worth noting, Corey Joseph and uh, Tyrese Halliburton are really close friends from when they played in Sacramento together. Oh, okay. He was Halliburton was actually, I think, a groomsman. He was definitely at Corey Joseph's wedding. I know that. Oh, um, wow. but Indiana let go of Corey Joseph. Surprisingly, I thought they keep him just because Halliburton is apparently upset that they traded Buddy Heald because they were close from the days in Sacramento and now they've been playing on pieces together. I thought to keep the star player happy, they would at least keep Corey Joseph on the roster because of his relationship with Halliburton to kind of supplement the role Buddy Heald played as being close with Halliburton. So but they the just did it for a second-round pick because they waived him. Yeah, so, I, I, yes. But I'm just saying I'm surprised they waived him given his relationship with Halliburton. Mm, it wasn't about that, I guess. Yeah, but I agree with you. But final notes, I will note that DeJounte Murray ended up staying in Atlanta. He just signed a five-year extension, so they could, honestly, they have plenty of time to trade him. They're gonna now want to be a tax team next year, so they have this offseason to trade him. If not, then next year at the deadline, they'll be able to move him, unless Trey Young has out before then. That's another uncertainty that I think is looming over them, that, hey, what if we trade DeJounte Murray, then Trey Young wants out too. So maybe they're trying to assess that. Uh, Bruce Brown stayed in Toronto. And, yeah, so he ended up not being moved. We're going to have to see where guys like Spencer Dinwiddie go, where Marcus Morris goes, where Kyle Lowry goes. There's a decent buyout market, but, yeah, we'll have to see how that plays out. I will note Golden State and the Lakers both didn't make a move. Um, Golden State, I think, desperately needed to. They helped Pat. The Lakers, I understand that they just think, oh, well, when we could trade three first next year or this summer, we're going to try to get a Donovan Mitchell or a Trey Young or someone. Let's not push all our chips in for DeJounte Murray now. But when you when you're best player or maybe second best player, or whatever it is, when you have LeBron James turning 40 years old, I don't think you worry about, oh, the possibility that Donovan Mitchell requests out. Maybe we could get him. I just think you do it. Uh, I think they should just went for DeJounte Murray. I know, Corbin, you felt differently. But, yeah, we'll yeah. have to see. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. I mean, looking at how they play yesterday, injuries are still a thing. I see why they want to bet on continuity. I think the loser in that is not the Lakers, but LeBron. Lakers are a franchise, yeah. I guess they apparently have big fish they want to go after next season, and I guess they'll have the option to do that. If you're LeBron, it's like, hey, am I going to win a championship with these guys around me? Probably not. Like, you're not better than the Nuggets. You saw that yesterday. I thought the Nuggets, like, even the Lakers playing an inspired performance and Jackson Hayes getting all the rebounds and all the things, I felt like it was more the Nuggets are playing with their food than the Lakers really showing that they were on their level, you know? So there's a clear bar there, right? And all the other teams, they can beat them on any given night, but on four out of seven, I don't know if they can. So yeah, I just I, I'm glad it moved in be made wasn't made just because of it. Like I don't think DeJounte would have demonstrably helped them in any way. I think that adding DeJounte, Lakers would still be exactly where they are with the teams that have over them, right? Maybe they bump over one or two teams hypothetically. But at the end of the day, like you're right, this is kind of what they are. 
one final note. I was surprised the Orlando Magic didn't make a move. They had a lot of expiring Me salary. Too. I thought they could. I like. I would have loved if they gave like Gary Harris in two seconds for like Gary Trent Jr. to give them mm-hmm. like an elite shooting guard. I just I'm, I'm surprised they didn't do anything. But I, I will say. Between Orlando, who was more surprising that was that they didn't make a move, Orlando or Atlanta? Atlanta, because I mean there was so much speculation that it was a lot that Dejounte Murray was going to be traded, and obviously he wasn't. So that's why. And obviously there was the report Wednesday night that they were deep in talks with the Pelicans for a trade involving Dejounte Murray and either Clint Capella or Onyeka Kongu, one of the centers. That'd be but yeah, so. Really okay. interesting. Last question for you I have. Yeah. Of those teams that didn't make a move, who do you think is best off? Warriors, of, of these teams I'm about to mention, the Bulls, the Warriors, the Hawks, the Lakers. I'm leaving out the Magic because that would be easy answer. The Bulls. I'm kidding. Um, I was about to say. The bet. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose I'll say Orlando because they, they don't have a 35 or 39-year-old star. That still wants to compete like Steph or LeBron, like the Warriors and Lakers do. And the answer is obviously not the Bulls. So yeah. I think well, I'm, I took our, I took Orlando out of it to make it tough oh. for you. <laughs> was Atlanta in there? It was Atlanta, the Warriors, the Atlanta. Bulls, and the Lakers. Okay. They don't say Atlanta because Atlanta, whatever. <laughs> they, they they have all the guys under contract next year that they could always make a move then. It's not like any of these like Chicago, DeMar DeRozan expiring. You have to move him now. Like, mm. Alex Russo only has one more year on his deal after ne- this year. He's going to be expiring next year. His value is never going to be higher. Um, Andre Drummond's expiring. Like, these are aging guys. Like, Chicago had every reason to make a move and didn't. Atlanta, yes, but Atlanta has some uncertainty that say, okay, if we're still in the same position next year, these deals will still be on the table, if not better. Mm. But let's, you know, weigh our options then. I'm not mad at Atlanta for not making a move. But Chicago, I'm fucking pissed off for. Because, like, come on. But. Yeah, I, I can hear in your voice. So I definitely feel it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so that's the trade deadline this year. Um, Not as many big names as we wanted to see move that actually were. But there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I don't see. And I know typically there's not a move that really alters the trade, like the championship landscape. The only one I could really think of is Marcus Saul when he went to Toronto. That's the only major deadline move that really impacted a championship. Mm-hmm. And maybe PJ Tucker with the box. Yeah, they won that year. So those are the two that I could think of. Like, okay, DC's made a deadline move for starting caliber player and they won a championship. Was Paul Gasol a dead? Oh, no, he didn't, they didn't even win anyway. It doesn't matter. I was going to say Paul Gasol, but one, I don't know if that was at the deadline. I know it was during the season. Two, they didn't win the championship. So, yeah, I agree. So, if there's a trade that you think is going to be an impact this year, everyone's saying, oh, the Knicks are the favorites in the East now. The Knicks are not favorites in the East. The Knicks are a hell of a team. Don't get me wrong. I've loved what they've done. They are not above Boston. I don't think they're above Milwaukee, even though Doc Rivers is 1-5 in five right now. Mm-hmm. Um. With the healthy Embiid, I'm still taking the Sixers over them, but we don't know if there's a healthy Embiid, so Jerry's out on that. And right now, the way Cleveland's won 16 out of the last 17, they're right there with the Knicks as well. I mean, I think the East, those top five are a bloodbath. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be tough up top. It's going to be tough up top. New York, it's going to be a 
11 out, right? You already know about Boston. Milwaukee, let's see if they figure it out because between losing Adrian Griffin and getting Doc Rivers, they haven't really got their mojo together. So let's see how that looks, right? Um, Philly, let's see where they end up shaking out. Cleveland has been on a roar, right? And Cleveland sat, sat, stood pat, and I think for good reason. Like, they are in a good groove right now. So you're right. Like, it's going to be tough at the top of the East. I would say they go at least five deep now. And that really depends on how you feel about Philadelphia. And that depends on how you feel about whether Joel B comes back or not. Well, yeah, if Joel B comes back, they're contenders. If he doesn't, they're not. I mean, it's simple as mm-hmm. that. So, okay. Corbin, anything you want to plug? Uh, honestly, no. Aside from working with you on this, um, hopefully getting you on for some more drafts up coming up. Um, once I get better, y'all, I'm battling a little bit. Came up over literally over the last, like, day. Like, literally. Um, but hopefully going to pour more in the draft, which means bringing on people like Steve and bringing on people who know it um, and cover the stretch from the NBA season. Aside from that, follow me on Twitter or X at CorbinNBA, C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. Check out Switch Theory. Check out Round Ball Ramble. And that is all I have. As always, my friend, thank you for having me on. Yeah, of course. Um you guys follow me on Twitter at the underscore NBA goal. That's N-B-A-G-E-L-L. You can follow me on Twitter at Birdreads Pod, Raid Review, Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this podcast. With March Madness coming up, go listen to the One and Done podcast. That's my um, college basketball pod. And, yeah, I will talk to you guys next episode. Thanks for listening.